Hi, and yes, welcome to the first Sunday in 2024. Now, many of us are in a season of recalibration. We are looking to our future at the start of a new year, and as we do, we are shaping our now, our today. That's why many of us have probably adopted one or two new habits at the start of this year, one or two New Year's resolutions. It might be what time you get up in the morning or go to bed at night. Maybe it's the first things you do in the morning or the last things you do at night. It might have to do with prayer or with health, when and what we eat, how we exercise, or with when we do and do not work, or with relationships, with friends, with partners, with children. Now, don't be afraid. The one thing I am not going to do today is to ask you one week in how your New Year's resolutions are going. And why not? Well, you may remember that famous story about the Chinese premier, Zhou Enlai who, when asked during the 1970s what he thought the impact of the French Revolution of the late 1700s had been, responded, it's too soon to tell. That's not just the long view. That's the really long view. And similarly, when it comes to us telling one another what our New Year's resolutions really are, I think we can all safely say it's too soon to tell. My advice is dare not speak them aloud until at least mid-March. Nevertheless, I do want to encourage us all at the start of this new year to think really practically and intentionally about our lives. The problem with New Year's resolutions, for me at least, is that we make them for the year, but we keep them in the day-to-day and the week-to-week. Last week, Leon encouraged us to start this new year, not with what we can achieve ourselves in life, but with the transforming work of God in our lives. And today, as we continue to think about all this, we're going to explore what that looks like, how it works out in the day-to-day and the week-to-week. But we're not going to start in the place you might expect. Because today, we're looking at Jesus' teaching, not about resolution, but about rest. Or maybe restolution, which I'll be honest, is my kind of resolution. We're reading today from the Gospel of Matthew, the end of chapter 11. This chapter begins with some of John the Baptist's disciples coming to see Jesus, which might feel strange because in the past few weeks, we've gotten used to thinking of both John and Jesus as babies. But fast forward now to adulthood. John's in prison. Jesus is causing trouble wherever he goes. Their mothers have questions. And since John cannot go and see Jesus himself, he sends somebody to ask him a question. John asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we keep waiting for someone else? John, who has grown up to be John the Baptist, he spent his life pointing away from himself, telling people about the one who is to come, who will save and renew humanity. And in today's reading, Jesus points to himself. He is the one who is to come, the one who shows us who God is and the one who shows us 
what it really means to be human. So let's read Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you reveal yourself as our Father. And we pray that today, once again, we would come to you as your children. May we live our lives with you. And would you make us more like you? Amen. So at the heart of this reading, there's an invitation. If you've never heard it before, it's an invitation that takes us to the heart of Jesus's message and who he is. And even if you know it well, then I want to invite you to hear it afresh today. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus's invitation here is for all. I mean, if you want to be fussy, it's actually to all those that are weary and burdened. But I somehow doubt there's anybody who hears this and does not qualify. Global studies like this one tell us that weariness, stress, anxiety, and being heavenly, heavily burdened are pervasive in modern life. But you probably don't need a study to tell you that. In fact, in 2013, a group of Dutch researchers showed that this phenomenon is probably far more widespread than studies have indicated so far, because many people report feeling too busy to take time to fill out workplace surveys. So Jesus speaks to us all when he calls those who are weary or burdened to come to him. And that weariness, that burden, takes many forms. Is Jesus talking about workload, about worry, about tiredness? Yes, life then, as now, was busy and not always easy. Is Jesus talking about the weight of others' expectations on us or of our own ambitions and goals? Yes, that too. In fact, in Jesus's day, the religious teachers were placing an increasingly heavy set of expectations on the shoulders of people from a young age regarding how they kept the Jewish law. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus speaks of those teachers as those who tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others while they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. And Jesus's own invitation here in Matthew chapter 11 is the exact opposite of that. And then together with those burdens, I think Jesus is also speaking here of the weariness that comes from asking and living with life's 
biggest questions. Who am I? What should I be doing with my life? Who should I be with? Does life have meaning? Is God even real? These things burden us too and can at times make us world weary. And if by burdens, Jesus means all of those dimensions, then the rest Jesus is promising us here is rest in all these dimensions as well. The Greek word for soul here is psuche, and it's an encompassing word. It includes the body, but really it incorporates the whole person. I wonder what kind of rest are you in need of today? Of course, we all know that we need that vital bodily form of rest, sleep. Isn't it a wonderful word? Sleep. And if you've ever struggled to sleep, you'll know how quickly it makes life hard to deal with if we don't get sleep. And not just a quick nap now and again, but proper sleep, REM sleep. And when we hear Jesus's invitation, we can also think in terms of a deep mental and emotional and spiritual rest, a kind of spiritual REM through which, in the words of Psalm 23, God restores our souls. He restores our psuche, our whole person. So that's Jesus's invitation to you and to me today. Come to me and I will give you rest. But that invitation makes what Jesus says immediately afterwards just a little bit confusing because Jesus goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And now maybe you, like me, are asking how these two parts can fit together. What do rest and a yoke have to do with one another. Surely Jesus must be yoking, I mean joking. After all, this is what a yoke is. It's a device used by animals or people to carry a burden. The Bible sometimes talks about a yoke of slavery. It uses the image of the yoke as a symbol of being driven into hard labor. So how does Jesus giving us rest and Jesus giving us a yoke and a burden go together? Well, that all depends on what Jesus means by rest and what Jesus means by the yoke. Rest in the Bible does not just mean the absence of activity. It means the fullness of life in all its dimensions. And rest comes in different forms. There is, of course, in the Bible, the Sabbath rest, coming to a stop, to a standstill, coming into land, you could say, once a week. This was one of God's commands to his people when they entered the promised land. And remember, the Sabbath was the first day of the week, not the last day. God's people were called not just to rest from work, but to work from rest. Not just to crash at the end of it all, but to begin the week with worship, with community, with rest. And if it isn't already one of your New Year's resolutions, Sabbath should be. 
We all need that kind of rest in our lives. But then more broadly, throughout the Bible, God reminds his people that the reason why he brought them out of slavery in Egypt was in order to take them somewhere, to lead them into his rest. Throughout Deuteronomy, we hear about God's people entering into God's rest. Here, rest is something bigger and it's something active. It means living in the world together with God and one another in God's ways in the place God has given to us. It means not just taking a break, but trusting God, walking with him, and entering into the life he has for us. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 4, we hear that a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God, and that it's in Jesus that we truly enter into God's rest. We work from rest in that everything we do in this world and in our lives flows from who we are in Christ and from resting in him. So in this invitation, Jesus is promising that bigger, more encompassing kind of rest. Yes, it includes Sabbath, stopping and resting, but more broadly than that, it means the end of striving of always trying to be more and to do more and the beginning of being more and more present in the moment as we live in his presence. And if that's the kind of rest Jesus is talking about, then what kind of yoke is Jesus talking about? Well, yes, a yoke is sometimes an image of slavery in the Bible, but we also hear in the Bible about the yoke of wisdom something that doesn't so much place a burden on us as help us to carry the burden of life well. That same distinction is at work in what Jesus says here. You see, Jesus knows that every life has its burdens. There are, of course, the burdens that Christ lifts off us. God is always the God who acts to break the yoke of slavery in each of our lives. But there are also different sorts of burden that we're called to bear. The calling that he has put on our lives, wherever that may be. Our responsibilities to the people around us as friends or mothers or leaders. And the burdens of all those things in which we are called to invest. From prayer to learning and growth to serving in church to our careers and our vocations at work. And with those burdens, Jesus does not promise us escape, but rather equipment. A yoke, after all, is a piece of equipment. It doesn't add a burden, it spreads a burden so that it can be carried more easily and more effectively without the work being backbreaking and wearying us and driving us into the ground. So when Jesus calls us to put on his yoke and to learn from him, he is inviting us to put on his way of carrying the burden of life, his way of living with and relating to God, one another, and our everyday lives. And he promises us that when we do, we will find that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. 
In fact, when the first Christians read this story, they noticed that the word for easy here is krestos, which sounds an awful lot like the word for Christos, meaning Christ. Whether or not that's something deliberate here in Matthew chapter 11, it reminds us that what we're really being called to is to put on Christ, to clothe ourselves with Christ, meaning to live as he lived in his power, to live with God and one another in imitation of his daily rhythms, habits, and values. So that's where rest and yoke meet. They go together. To enter into his rest is to find a new way of carrying the burdens of life in the everyday. And to bear our burdens with him and like him is to enter into his rest. That's Jesus's invitation to us. Now, what might that mean for us as we head into a new year? Here's an illustration you might have seen before. One of the ways in which we're often encouraged to handle all the burdens of life is to be very intentional with our time. Barabasi says, time is our most valuable non-renewable resource. And if we want to treat it with respect, we all need to set priorities. And so say this jar represents your life. The question is, what are you going to fill it with? And the place to start is with the big things, the important things, to set our priorities first and to make time for the things that really matter to us. These might include family, friends, our health, and of course, for followers of Jesus, this includes prayer, gathering with other believers, growing into the people he is calling us to become and serving in various ways in his kingdom. Now, when we get these things in place first, there will still be time and capacity for the other things that we engage with. It may look full, but there's still space to engage with education, with our work and career path, with making a home. And now it really does look full, but together with those, there is still time after we put those things in place and still capacity for all those other things that also give life meaning. For passions and hobbies like music or food or sport or for travel or for meeting new people or trying new things. There we go. Now it really is full. This is wise advice. If we're not intentional, the jar of our lives becomes filled with pebbles and with water in advance. And once it does, we're left trying to fit the big things in last around the edges, which is never going to work. So it's really wise advice. Let the main things be slotted in to your calendar, to your life, to your day, to your week first. However, there's a trick to this illustration which is that normally the person brings just the right amount of golf balls and pebbles and water. And of course, in real life, there's always more golf balls 
There's always more pebbles. There's always more water. There are always more good things, important things that we could be doing in our lives. Yes, being proactive about our time and priorities will help our lives to be full of what matters most. But we are not, in fact, creatures of infinite time, infinite energy, or infinite resource. The journalist Oliver Berkman has reminded us that each of us has roughly 4,000 weeks on this earth, at least this side of the resurrection. And that means there will always be opportunities, money, experiences, and other good things that we leave on the table of our lives. And so our task, our invitation this year, isn't just to optimize, it's to decide. And the word decide literally means to cut away. What we do choose means cutting away that which we do not. Now, I think Jesus's invitation here speaks right into the heart of this human predicament. Instead of anxiety and a burden in this new year that presses us to enter into doing more, Jesus invites us at the start of this season to face the reality of our limitations by entering into his rest. And here are three ways in which we can do that today. First of all, come to Christ. Jesus says, come to me. And remember, when Jesus says this, he's just told us who he is. At the start of our reading today, he says, all things have been handed over to him by God the Father. And when we come to him, he reveals the Father to us. This reminds us that in this new year, we are called to pay attention to and make time for prayer, to make time to find ways of coming to him daily and weekly. That might even mean waking up a little earlier, which I know doesn't sound like rest, but it will lead us into his rest. It might mean taking up some new daily habit, a new spiritual discipline, maybe using a new resource like the Bible with Nikki and Pippa Gumble. But whatever it is we do, to take the time to turn aside, just as we see Jesus throughout the Gospels, turning aside to be with his Father, rising up early and going away to be with his Father, this is something we should make, uh, not a new year's resolution, but a new day's resolution. He calls us to himself. He says, come to me every day, whether we've been making time for him daily or whether we haven't spoken to him in a really long time. That's the first way. Secondly, bear his burden. Jesus invites us to bear not the burden of the world or the burden that others place on us, but his burden. He starts with the assumption that we are all weary and heavily burdened at the beginning of what he says. And then he moves towards exchanging that burden, not for no burden, but for his burden. This is a call to wisdom and discernment. It means asking where God is calling us in this season. What do we sense he is wanting us to do with our lives and with our time in this season? And if we have a sense of the season of life that we are in, that will, of course, 
shape what we do and what we expect. For example, some of us might be parents to little burdens, I mean, little children. And that will change an awful lot about our daily lives. We've just been talking about prayer. How and when we make time to pray will be very, very different depending on our season and life stage. I'm reminded of Susanna Wesley, who's sometimes known as the mother of Methodism. She had 19 children, including John and Charles. And famously, she pulled her apron over her head during the day in order to pray while she was surrounded by all the kids running around. And the kids knew that that was mum's time. Personally, I'd worry what the kids were getting up to while I wasn't looking, so I'd probably have to cut eye holes in, but then that might be slightly frightening for the younger ones, I imagine. Anyway, when we know where God is calling us this year or in this season, then we can also be unburdened from the things that we place on ourselves or which others place on us. You know, there are all kinds of gifts that we could be developing in this season, all kinds of good things that we could be doing with our time in this season. But the question is, what is God calling us into? Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, not so that we may gain a heart of worry. And to embrace what we are doing rather than ruining what we aren't is what it looks like to bear Jesus's burden, not uh, the burden that the world places on us. And now here's the final thing that we can do. We take his yoke. If the first point is about prayer, and the second one is about where God is calling us, then this point is about the fact that in every season, God is always calling us in different ways to enter into a life in which we are becoming more and more like Jesus, day by day, week by week. Remember, Jesus doesn't just reveal the Father to us. He also shows us what it means to be fully human. And he calls us to take his yoke and to learn from him. And of course, this also relates to the first and second points. On the one hand, it is first and foremost, as we spend time in prayer and worship, that we become more and more like Jesus. But on the other, in this season, there are many ways in which we could be growing, but we're not actually being called fortunately, to develop every single gift on the planet all at once. Instead, God is working on us in his own way, in his own time, and he's equipping us for this season, for what he wants to do through us in this present season of life. Yes, we need to be proactive and intentional. Yes, the way in which we shape our lives is part of how God is shaping us. But it is his work and his spirit's work to make us more and more like Jesus. And so it's his yoke that we bear. Jesus said, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. However you're starting this year, weary or refreshed, however your New Year's resolutions are going or aren't going so far, each and every day is a day on which we can hear this invitation to enter into his rest. And the way in which we can do that is by shaping our lives in order to make room for God to shape us. Let's pray, shall we? And we ask now, as we reflect on this invitation, come, Holy Spirit. Come rest on us and lead us once again into rest. There may be one or two hearing this who are struggling with literal bodily rest, with sleep. If that's you, then we want to pray, Lord, come close and lead your people into rest. Grant to your people the rest of sleep. And there'll be others who are hearing this and wondering what is the season of life that they are in? And if that's you, we also want to pray for you today. We pray, Lord, would you speak very clearly in your word through the prophet? You say, ask for the ancient paths and turn neither to the left nor to the right, but walk the path that I have for you and enter into my rest. Lord, we pray that you would guide us, you would reveal your will for us in this season as we search for you. Amen. Let's worship together now. Oh, 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 o